The scripture for the sermon today is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is God's word. Thank you, Katie. As our summer turns into full, we have begun a new series in the run-up to Christmas. Looking at the very beginning of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis, the first Bible, the first book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And the reason is, the reason it's such a, a powerful book to look at, uh, is because this is the book of origins. The word itself means origin, source, birth, beginning. And by looking at Genesis, you get the themes that are going to play out in the rest of the Bible. It gives us uh, the vocabulary. It gives us the concepts we need to understand the rest of the Bible. And so it's very important to grapple with it, to understand it, to internalize the stories. We started by looking at God creating everything out of nothing. In the beginning, there is a void, formless and empty, and God gives structure, and he fills that void, as we saw last week when we looked at the six days of creation. Now, we look at the seventh day, the day of rest. So let's have a look at it. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God spent six days creating heavens and earth and filling them. And he had fulfilled everything that he set out to do. He had created the structure, and he had filled that structure, and everything was good and very good. All his creative work was done. And so he rests. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Why is this here? After all, isn't what is important the fact that God created everything, the fact that God filled everything, the fact that God created structure, created the vast array of the heavens, all the beauty, all of us, everything that is. Isn't that what is significant? Why this extra day, which he just rests? Why put that in the Bible? Because in the day of rest, in the Sabbath rest, God gives a gift to creation, to all of us, every one of us here in this room. The word here, Sabbath, doesn't mean to rest because you're tired. Rest because you're worn out and you need to, to um, renew yourself. It means to cease, 
to stop, to cease to work and contemplate what you have done, to enjoy the fruits of one's labor. If you go through the six days, you see that every day God creates something new. And he says, that's good. More than that, emotionally, think what he's saying. He's just created something brand new. Stars, sun, moon, human beings, animals, fishes, creatures, plants, land, light. Something that's never existed before, out of nothing. And he looks at it, and he says, that is good. That's amazing. That's beautiful. That's extraordinary. And then he does something else. That is good. If he was going to speak in the argot of our culture, he'd say, that's awesome. That's cool. That's amazing. Every day, something new, brand new, out of nothing. And finally, on the sixth day, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The primary purpose for God to cease his work is to be able to enjoy and admire and to celebrate that which his work had created. And before we go into anything else, there are two important implications you can draw from this. The first is that work is not the primary thing. God, angels, all of us, are not primarily created to work although we are invited to work. But there is also a celebration of what our work creates, what our work produces. There is a time of rest and celebration and contemplation, a time to look at what is good and celebrate what is good. The second important implication, and this one has had uh, a lot of uh, play in our particular culture, the idea of work, historically, is, is perceived very negatively. If you look at world history, in every culture, work was for the lowest in that society or culture, and or for slaves. One of the important reasons that the people went to war was to produce enough slaves to work in their fields to support the, the culture, to provide enough food and materials for that culture to grow. Work was for the lowest of the low. And for thousands of years, even in the West that was true, there was a hierarchy. There were the aristocrats, didn't have to do anything, who lived on the work of others, the feudal lords. There were the clergy, the church, who lived supported by the work of farmers and peasants. There was the military. There were the merchants, who you, everybody else looked down on. And the merchants looked down on the peasants, and the peasants looked down on the slaves. A hierarchy where the less you did, 
the more socially valuable you were considered in terms of physical work. The Protestant Reformation, we are Protestants, by the way, one of our protests was against that very idea. And one of the fruits of the Protestant Reformation was the study of Scripture, including Genesis in the original Hebrew, and the recognition that God worked, which elevated the whole concept. And Jesus worked. He was probably a carpenter. There's a famous book at the beginning of the 20th century by um, Max Weber, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And his argument was, it was this elevation of the notion of work where smart people started their own businesses. That it was no longer considered beneath smart, powerful people to work. And that the whole development of capitalism and industrialism, first in Europe and then in America, comes from this idea. Work is a good thing. It's not the only thing. There is more to life, but work is a good thing, and we should celebrate it, and it's important. But first, this idea that it's a gift. In Psalm 95, we read this. Come, let us now bow and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years, I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They shall never enter my Sabbath. This is God speaking to Israel. Remember, Israel, the people who become Israel, they are the people that God gives the Ten Commandments to, including the command to celebrate the Sabbath. And so alongside this idea of ceasing to work, to rest, and to contemplate, you also have this idea that our relationship with God is the fundamental source of our ability to rest. Not only is it a gift in the abstract, but our relationship with him, our creator, is the reason that it is possible to rest at all. And when our relationship with God is disordered, so will our rest be also. The Hebrews wandered for 40 years in the desert until they finally entered rest, until everyone that had rebelled against God had died. And only their descendants entered the promised land. And the promised land was the place of rest, where God and man, Israel, and God, who resided at the temple in Jerusalem, had this relationship restored. A holy people, 
around a holy God, free from slavery. Moses said this to Israel, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no, you, you, on it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand, an outstretched hand. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. What is the opposite of honoring the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath? Slavery. A slave is defined by the amount of work they do. Slaves don't get any days off. Slaves don't get vacation. Slaves don't get any other benefits. They are as much as they can produce, and that's all they are. And only if you can rest, cease from work, are you free. Slaves are worth for other people, but also people who only live to work, they too are slaves if that's all you can do. And that is what God saved Israel from. And his Sabbath is a gift to protect them from slavery and from enslaving other people. Sabbath is a space separate from work. Where other things can happen. And it is a guarantee that slavery will not dominate that culture. In fact, when Israel itself was taken away to Babylon, when they were overrun and they were all taken off to Babylon, it was their institution of the Sabbath that kept them distinct from the rest of the people in Babylon. It protected them from being just workers because they continued to celebrate their day off. Now, does that sound like Anything you know? Does that sound like your life? One of the things that I experienced when I first came to New York some, gosh, 25 years ago now was the crazy work habits of, of people in New York. You would not believe how many vacations other people in the world take. You would not believe it. My sister, an emergency room nurse, she's a busy woman. She runs an emergency room. She has 10 weeks paid vacation. Imagine, plus all the other, you know, the national holidays for Easter and for Christmas and all the other ones. I know, for, to uh, New York years, that's just, it's almost blasphemous, right? <laughs> Does she do anything at all? When I first started at um, Redeemer Manhattan, I went to some different uh, fellowship groups. And there was one fellowship group down on Wall Street. It was literally on Wall Street. It was in a boardroom. And it, it started at 9 o'clock. I only went a few times. It's too late for me. started at 9 o'clock, finished about 
more than half the people in that fellowship group went back to their offices afterwards to continue to work. And the stories they would tell, interns moving to Manhattan and being told, don't bother getting an apartment. You just need a room in a YMCA to get a shower because you'll never be there. Because we're going to own you. And it was a matter of pride that they didn't take their few days of vacation a year. Because if you took a, a day of vacation, you weren't a serious worker. Endless, unfinished, always encroaching work. And the only defense we have against it is this idea of Sabbath. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. How many times have you been with a friend at a restaurant, having a drink with someone, sitting in the park, wherever it is, and they've picked up their phone because there's an email from work, or there's a text, or there's something on Facebook, or Instagram. I, I mean, the number of ways that people grab, grab us now just keeps proliferating. Remember, a person who never rests, who never ceases to work, is a slave. And unfortunately, we are the center of it. America is meant to be the land of the free and the brave. But people who come to New York oftentimes don't primarily come here to live. They come here to work. And they put up with things that would, in any other circumstances, be identical to slavery. Where somebody else completely owns you, owns your time and your energy and your creativity, and you are defined only by how much you produce. And it's not just people low on the totem pole. The great Madonna was one time interviewed by Vogue, and she said this, Every time I accomplish something, I feel like a special human being. But after a little while, I feel mediocre and uninteresting again. I find I have to get myself past this again and again. My drive in life is from the horrible fear of being mediocre. I have to prove I'm somebody. And she's still doing it. I don't know how old she is now, but she's still going. There doesn't look to be much rest in Madonna's life. I have no idea what's going on in her heart, but that is a busy woman. What am I trying to say here? God creates us, yes, to work, but also for more. And to protect that more, the ability to celebrate something more than our material physical existence, our material physical work, he gives us a Sabbath. A place to cease from work, feeding, clothing, housing ourselves, and devote ourselves to celebrating him and his good creation. The beauty of him and his beautiful good creation. And that's why it's a gift. And when you're in the world, you have a decision to make. Am I an orphan who has to prove myself every moment, every day, every year, again and again and again by my work and what I achieve? Or do I belong to God?
Can I rest in that identity? So I don't have to be a slave to this world. That's the invitation. That's the choice that we're given. There's a wonderful film, Chariots of Fire, which is based on this entire principle. And Chariots of Fire, it's the story of two athletes in the 1924 Olympics. And they're two runners. And one is a devout Christian, Eric Little. And Eric Little, all his life, has run. And he loves to run. And he says the reason he loves to run is when he's running fast, he feels God's pleasure. And for him, it's an act of worship. It's an act of prayer. He doesn't need to run, but he loves to run to experience God's pleasure. And the other is Harold Abrams, who runs to justify his, his existence, to prove that he's worthy. And they're both at the same Olympics, and it turns out that one of the races is going to be held on a Sunday, day of Sabbath. And Eric Little, although he's the fastest, and he will win a gold if he runs, he chooses not to run because he doesn't have to prove anything to God. And he would rather celebrate his God on a day of rest than win a gold medal at the Olympics in 1924. And of course, because it's a Hollywood movie, they work it out where they, they switch the race and both of them get exactly what they want, and it's beautiful. But it's a great picture of two different ways of working or excelling in the world. Do you live to work or work to live? Are you a slave deep down or are you a free man or woman? Verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That's a striking combination. He makes that day of all the days holy, the day of rest. Why that? Why would that be? Well, what does it mean to be holy? To be holy literally means to be set apart for God's purpose. What does the day of rest do? It sets us apart from the work of the world, the slavery to the world, and gives us a day that we can devote to God and his purposes. That's what it is. And only if you are holy, that is, you are set apart for God's purpose, you are living according to his will rather than your own, that you are reunited with him as creator and creature, only then can you be at peace, at rest. You know, looking at my own life, I know there's always stuff to do. There's always a bill, an email, a phone call, a thank you note, something that needs to be done. Something that if it is not gone is going to cause some kind of grief or some kind, some kind of upset with somebody. An unease. To be unrestful, to be not at ease, is to have some kind of debt 
some kind of burden, some kind of problem, some kind of unfulfilled promise with somebody. To deep down have a nagging doubt that there is more to, to do. That's why we can't rest. It is a spiritual condition. It is not just a matter of to-do lists and planners. It's not just a matter of making sure everything's done. It is the unease that comes from broken relationships with each other, but especially with God, and that is why it is so hard to get rid of. It is a spiritual heart condition. Lack of rest shows that there is a broken relationship with God and with other people. And so what do you do about that? You need to be made right. You need to have everything paid for, everything done, everything that can disrupt your relationship with other people and with God taken care of. And that's why you need Jesus. One of my first bosses always points to a passage in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He was a Harvard MBA, and he knew how to work, and that's what he did. And it was damaging his relationship with his family and with his kids, and it was damaging his health. His doctor told him that he was going to have a heart attack. And he was working one day late in the office, and he felt that a heart attack was coming on. He thought, actually, it was a heart attack. And he freaked out, and he opened the Bible, and he read that passage. And there, by himself, late at night, in his office, he laid down on the carpet in his office, and he recited these words. And he decided he had to trust them, because he was going to kill himself. And he became a pastor. became part of Redeemer, Hoboken, uh, Redeemer Manhattan, actually. One of my first bosses. And this he saw as the verse that saved his life. Where he just laid down all this stuff, this unending stuff that needed to be done. And trusted that this was true. And it changed his life. Yoke. Put my yoke on you. A yoke is what harnesses two cattle together to pull something. A yoke makes you a partner with Christ. Means you are about his business as much as your own. And that you are trusting him to take care of the deep work under all the work so that you can rest. And until you begin to do that, especially in Manhattan, especially in the metro area, you will never get that peace, the peace that put, passes all understanding. Do not be anxious about every, anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
if you are feeling overwhelmed by your career, by your job, by your circumstances in the city, if you can't find peace, notice what here Paul says you should do. Turn it into a matter of prayer. Make it your spiritual life. Instead of suffering alone, working yourself to death, living as a slave, claim God's promises. And trust Him that you are fundamentally taken care of. That you don't have to fear the world anymore. So what does it mean to take a Sabbath? Well, this is a good start, by the way. Coming to church on Sunday is pretty good. Although how many of you have had a secret look at your emails since you came? I would say more than anything else, what modern people need to do is to just put away their phones for the day. Not look at a screen for a whole day. And rest in your relationship with God. If you are a parent, create a day of rest for your children. A day when they're not entertained by screens, by other stuff. A day that you tell them stories, as you heard we're going to do today with our kids from the Bible. A day that you remind them that they are not to grow up to be slaves, and why. A day when you fill yourself as much as your kids with the stories of how God is faithful how you can trust him, how he has worked in the life of others. Basically, if you think what the Bible is, it's not a textbook. It's not a theological book. It is primarily a series of stories about how people had a relationship with God and how he was faithful, oftentimes in surprising ways. And somewhere in this book, there is a story that's going to resonate with you that's going to address your situation exactly where you are. You just have to find it and know it and speak it to yourself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How can Jesus say that? Because he's done everything necessary. On the cross, he has reconciled God to us. He has paid every debt. Every outstanding thing that stands between us and God has been removed. And he has paid our debt to each other so that we can be forgiving and gracious with each other. So that we don't have to carry accounts. So we don't have to run around always putting out fires in all our relationships. And because he's done that, you, like my boss, can on a Sunday lay down. Go have a walk along the river and admire it. Not because it's the Hudson, but because it's the river that God made. And the beautiful sky. And the trees. And your children. And the spouse that you love. And everything that you have. Say thank you for it. Celebrate it. Recognize it as a gift that it is. And you will find yourself resting. You are taken care of. You are beloved. You are not an accident. 
You are a creature. That means you are created by a God who creates everything. By a God who values every moment of your life and is with you every step of the way. All you have to do is rest in it. Trust Him. One day a week. Trust God one day a week and your heart will find rest. That is the gospel promise. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that Christ has done everything that needs to be done. That we are at rest with you. We are at peace with you. You love us completely. Lord, help us know and trust and believe that. Lord, make that the source of this day of rest, this Sabbath. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.